Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Tourism Marketing Mastery. I just wanted to give you a little bit of context to what you're about to listen to. This is part two of a three-part series I did with Mitch Bach from Trip School. The first part was more of a Q&A. This part is the intro to a conversation that Mitch and I had around failure, in which we discuss some of our own failures as tourism operators. But we also discuss the failures of our clients. And the reason that that is significant is because Mitch and I both individually have worked with hundreds of clients over the last few years. And so we've seen patterns. We've seen where there's common mistakes that are made. And we also address, of course, what are some of the, the key takeaways, key lessons from those mistakes? And what can tourism operators be doing instead? So this is the first part of that discussion. What I will let you know is that this was intended initially to be a one-hour episode. It ended up turning into a two-hour conversation. So what you're listening to today is the first half of this conversation, which means that the second half will be coming next week. And the reason you want to pay attention for that second half, not only to round out this conversation, but in that second half, we're giving away a very significant giveaway. I can't give you all the details right now because we're just, it's not even ready to launch. Uh, it will be the day that episode releases. But what I can tell you is that the giveaway that we're, we're going to be telling you about is worth $4,000 US. And anybody that listens to that episode will find out how to get it. So watch out for that episode. It's going to be the most significant giveaway I've ever done by far. And I know that part of you was probably thinking, sure, you just pulled that number out of a hat and you made up something that sounded great. I can tell you as well that the giveaway that we are giving you, there have been many tourism operators that legitimately paid $4,000 US for the thing that we're, uh, we're giving to you for free. Um, my goal is to give you as many resources as we can, especially during these tough times. And there was a lot of debate on my side whether I should actually give this away or not. And I said, you know what? It's more important to have the community uh, bond together over this than it is for us to, to hoard it on, on my side. So I hope you get a ton of value out of it. I hope you, you're curious about what it is and that you'll actually listen to that next episode in order to receive it. And without further ado, let's jump into things. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Tourism Marketing Mastery. As always, I'm your host, Eric Hatterscheidt, and today we have a special guest on. We've had him on before, but there's a reason he's back is because we had a very, very interesting conversation last episode. This guy runs Trip School. He's very involved in the tourism community, and he's working on some really big things, which we're going to share with you later in the episode, so you want to listen to the whole thing. Welcome to my friend, Mitch Bach, who... I'm very honored to have on the show. How are you doing, Mitch? Doing amazing, Eric. And what an amazing marketer you are because you've teased it out so well that everyone has to listen until the very end now. So well done. Dude, you got to, you got to, we call it, uh, we call it opening a loop in the marketing world. You got to open the loop <laughs> and then you got to, you got to hook them in so they want to listen more so they can close that loop. Um, and in the storytelling world and the product design world, we call it a knowledge gap. Mm. Don't tell them everything at the beginning make them hunger for what's happening next with curiosity and you just string them along until the end. So I like that. So uh, if you guys are listening to this, then uh, you're probably like bastards. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, we have a really, really cool episode planned for you guys, because in this episode specifically, we're going to be diving into 
uh, just mistakes that either we have made in our own tourism operations or mistakes we've seen with clients. And I believe this is going to be a pretty unique episode because there's not a ton of people uh, in the tourism space that are playing a consulting role that have actually worked with, with quite a number of clients, and yet Mitch and I have. And so I really, I thought this would be a really cool concept. Actually, this might even be your concept. I'm not, I don't remember quite Mitch, but uh, to just go through, hey, what are all the mistakes that we've seen and the patterns that keep coming up? Um, and what have we learned from those mistakes or what have we seen our clients learn from those mistakes? And I, I thought it would be awesome if we could share that with you. So Mitch totally agreed. This episode, we'll see how it goes. It might be, uh, it might end up being a two-parter. Um, depends on how long we go, but we wanted to make sure we gave you all the information kind of regardless of how long that took. So cozy up, sit down, grab yourself your favorite beverage and uh, take a listen to what we've got. All right, um, Mitch, I thought a good way to start this off would be looking at just some common patterns that we see. And then maybe from there, we'll go into some of the the uh, the one-offs, but in terms of bigger patterns that uh, have come out of working with hundreds, if not thousands of, of tour operators, um, what are some common mistakes that the listener here can avoid? Yeah, that's the question of the hour and of all of our lives because we're constantly learning from our mistakes and we're constantly making them, which is uh, uh, which is great for this podcast episode, not so great for operators trying to uh, make a living. And so I'm glad that you've invited me on here to teach through some of this stuff. I work with brand new businesses and I work with very established businesses. And it's really interesting because often the same mistakes are being made on both ends. And I will say this, it gets really, really hard, the more successful you become, to start to, th to continue to think creatively, to, to, change, to change your product, to pivot to new directions. It's a lot easier and I've found this during the sort of COVID uh, uh, pandemic that when you don't have a lot to lose, you have a lot to gain by just being creative. And so mm -hmm. I would say the number one thing that I'd like to start out with, and, and this goes for everybody, is take a lesson from Apple and work on the next iPhone, even when you've launched the iPhone that you just made. Keep iterating, keep changing, keep adding, and keep improving. And it's not just about improving, but it's about continuing to stir the pot to watch the kinds of new things that come out of just thinking creatively about the products that you're offering. And by products, I mean tours or attractions. I mean, if you look at the attractions world, you can see that there are always new things being added. And it's interesting I often find when I work with operators that they take it as a given that they've developed the script, they've developed the number of stops on a walking tour or an adventure tour or whatever kind of tour it is. And now that that's done, the rest of their life is spent tinkering with their website and with their Facebook ad strategies. Yeah. They don't go back and include that core product in their loop. And I don't know if that uh, resonates with you, Eric, and the people that you've worked with. Yeah, I might. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna give a personal example. So before this episode, I actually took a little bit of time to write down, just reminiscing over mistakes I thought I'd made, and literally one note I jotted right before the episode started here was one of the big mistakes that I kind of forgot about, um, but has been instrumental the last few years. Is to to the point that you're making, there was decades um, for us in the on the resort side for sure where we didn't really innovate on anything new. We made these micro improvements here and there, which is really more of a, just a general upkeep, um, so to speak. 
And then we form this. So to, to, to your point of saying, okay, you know, you, once you think you've got your experience dialed in, then it's just tweaks to the website and, and maybe your Facebook ads or, or social media status. One of the big mistakes that I made was that we focused on our social media strategy prior to actually having a really solid experience plan and reiteration of the experience. And the reason that's a huge mistake is because if you're stagnant in your experience, your social media just reflects just what's there and there's nothing really new that's exciting to the viewer. And so what we realized was, oh, our social media strategy is not the first step in the process. The first step in the process is constantly asking ourselves, how can we innovate? How can we be new in our experience? And that is the real life story that you tell through social media. And that actually lends to posts that are going to be more engaged with because people are excited about the new things you're working on and developing. Your experience, those new things, those are the real life stories that you tell through social media as the medium to tell that story. It's not social media just constantly reiterating what, what already exists um, and how that can be a, a very effective social media strategy is starting with a core of, of constantly innovating on experience and then telling that. When I, when I talk about social media to our entrepreneurs or our operators, I often mention it like a friendship. And if, if your audience is a friend, you want to make sure you've got some new stuff to share with them. That's interesting. And often what I see is just the same old kinds of photos, advertising tours, and not relationship building, which often comes from just sharing something that's new and fresh. And I'll say this, you learn you learn new avenues to go down with your customers. And I'll say, uh, I'll say on that front that I've made that mistake myself where I don't realize that actually my social media presence is also a way to inform my product development when I learn what people are responding to. And that excites me and allows me to transform the way in which I'm designing my tours. And and I have, I have one personal example from the walking tour company that I owned in New York City, which was, uh, which, which was when on my on my company's Instagram, I had parents that kept complaining about children's uh, attention spans and fidget spinners and how they hated those things. And <laughs> I used that I used that piece of information. I actually worked the fidget spinner into my walking tour, where I allowed my guests uh, families to uh, take a fidget spinner with a little arrow attached to it and flick it around, and then that was going to be the direction that we would go uh, for the next stop on the walking tour. And That's really cool. I was able to I was able to essentially choreograph an experience that felt kind of random that involved this hated device uh, but transformed it into sort of an educational tool and the families loved it but it wouldn't have popped into my mind without understanding the feedback the comments the information that those families give you are uh, are, are, are new avenues to innovate and to transform your your tour into and you know on that front I uh, had a I had an operator that I was working with and he was just sort of bored with his city. He was mm. bored with his tour. He was bored with himself. He was just sort of over it all. And I said, well, why don't you become someone new? Why don't you change who you are? And he did. He stuck a cape on his back. He invented a new persona and he went around acting, becoming a new character in his life. And that's, that's, you know, that's that's the solution for any boredom in any life is to inject something new and to feel comfortable with that kind of iteration, that kind of transformation of, of your product and build that into your philosophy of what the heck you're doing. 
I really, really like that, Mitch. Um, I also have seen that with one of the tour operators we work with, um, they were just struggling with, I, it's essentially the same thing. Like we, they, they were feeling like I am the same as any other tour operator in this area. And it feels a little bit like, yeah, great. There's revenue there, but that I'm not excited to wake up every day and do what we do because it seems like it's just the same as what everyone else is doing. And um, just asking them like, okay, what do you want to be known for? Just asking that one simple question. What do you want to be known for? Come up with initially just one word, one word, one adjective, whatever that they want to be known for. Um, and initially for these guys, it was like, well, we want to be known for fun. Okay. With everything that you're doing and through this customer journey, how do you take a step that you've done a million times before and inject like that one extra bit of fun into it? So then they sit down and they ideate on that and that can become their own unique experience in their tour company is like, oh, they do all these little things um, because the intention is we want to be known for this. And that goes into the actions of how they're developing that experience. And then in, eventually into the actual tour itself. And it's just, it refreshes them. At least in this, in this instance, it did. This is a operator on, uh, on Vancouver Island. It just refreshes like, oh, this is so much more interesting to me now because was what they wanted to be known as. They just didn't take the time to actually think about how they could inject that into their current experience. You know, I think uh, to dovetail with that, creativity essentially comes simply from connecting previously disconnected things. It's not that you sit down and pour yourself a glass of wine and say, I'm not leaving the table until I come up with a brand new idea for my business. That never happens. It happens when you're out exploring the world. And mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, it's important that you sort of continue to prompt yourself to say, I'm open to ways in which what I experience when I go out, when I shop, when, when I, when I notice that I'm enjoying an activity, I'll give you an example. I was uh, shopping for Christmas uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I went into this little pop-up shop, which was a very narrow little kind of almost an alley. I mean, picture uh, a couple meters wide of a little shop, but it was magical. And they had created little little uh, little peepholes that you could stick your iPhone up to and look into it. And they had little dioramas <laughs> set up in the wall. Cool. And it was this magical surprise because you... You would take the photo, but you didn't know what it was going to look like until you had to load up the photo. And then you checked out, you bought something in their little store, and they gave you a little Willy Wonka style ticket, just a little old ticket stub. And on it, it said uh, a little number, and it said, check our Instagram stories tonight at 8 p.m. to see if you're a winner. And at 8 p.m., they broadcast live on their Instagram on their on Instagram, and uh, and you watch this little drawing to see if your ticket won, and then you you know swiped up and followed them immediately. And those were two. I don't know how that's going to mean something in my training company or in my tour company or in the lives of my entrepreneurs that I work with, but it triggered me because I noticed I loved that. It felt really fun. It felt interesting it felt like i was exploring it had a sense of anticipation and reveal to it all of which are so important to just what human beings enjoy out of life and i do know that at some point that's going to connect with something else swimming around in my brain and might come up with a great way to add that uh that sense of discovery to a walking tour or to a hiking tour or whatever it is i think that's a fantastic example that you bring up that is a common mistake. And I think we are both guilty of it. Um, 
and it's only recently in the last couple of years I've tried to to think beyond this, but the social media, uh, or I should say, the way that we have approached social media traditionally has been okay, it goes from just posting pictures to, okay, now we're posting stories that are happening in the business. And now much more, we're looking at how do we create an extension of the experience that we're giving in person? How do we create the, and that experience um, in social media? And those are not necessarily easy things to innovate on, but an example like that is a fantastic way to say, hey, somebody else has done this really well. How can I take that same concept of that extending that experience into social media and bringing it into my business. I think that's brilliant. Really love that story. You know, part, part of the, the curse of being human is that we do focus very quickly on the negative and we're often quick to say that won't work for me. That's not what I'm doing. I don't have a retail shop, but who knows how that's going to manifest in the kind of experience or tour or attraction or whatever it is that you're creating and you don't know. So give yourself the space and uh, the space to be surprised by what your brain comes up with. I often, uh, I often will let something sit overnight and wake up and just not try to force anything because my most creative thoughts often come when I'm trying, not trying very hard and, and, and those connections suddenly happen, but being ready to take it and have a little notepad app, you know, open, have Evernote open, have a little note where you jot down things that you enjoy in life, or you've noticed that you enjoy online or on another person's tour or whatever. And, uh, and I think that, 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 that style of focus on your business affects everything because it's the arrow pointing back to your product, which then informs the way in which you treat social media. And the more you're right, you can connect those, those, those two poles and not just see one as driving bookings. That, that, that's the most sterile way of looking at it. And, and I know you're passionate about, about that kind of relationship building that happens. And I'll say this much, and you're the expert on this, but social media advertising is not that old. And so we come up with these dogmas of what works and what doesn't work. And they're just based on some guru saying it worked for two years or it worked for a year. The future is paved with creative people doing new things. And I think of this in terms of Instagram guides, for example, you know, this new feature came out in which you can do multi-image or video storytelling, potentially link a product and who the heck knows what that is going to mean. So get out there and experiment and, and, and try things. And that creates the new orthodoxy around social media advertising. Yeah. One thing that I'm going to, I'm going to add to your point there, which is a very, very valid point. And I think is a sticking point for most tour operators, uh, ourselves included, is that often we see social media as just a, a medium to represent who we are. And what I've learned over the last few years is that social media is a much more powerful tool. If you use it to, represent the community that you're trying to build. So regardless of the tour operation that you run, you need to start looking at our, at least this work for us. Um, and this is what I advise a lot of our clients to do is stop just, just talking about your tours or your experience. Like that can be part of it, but you need to give information that's valuable to a community. And you need to, in order to do that, you need to decide who that community is going to be. So For our tour companies on the resort side, we know our community in that case is primarily moms with young families. So what's information that's going to be both useful and entertaining to moms with young families. And then on the, uh, on the motorcycle side, it's completely different demographic over there. It's kind of younger to middle-aged guys, um, often dads, 
often on entrepreneurs, what is it going to, what's the information there that's going to be useful and entertaining to them? And those are two completely different things for the most part, but we're actually focusing on what's useful to the community and what's entertaining to the community, as opposed to what's just a representation of us. And the amazing fallout, if you think about this as a strategy, is that the community, they start to actually promote your social media amongst themselves because they're finding other like-minded people and bringing them into your universe. And that is a huge chunk of marketing that you don't effectively have to spend more money on to get that kind of attention. So that's, that's a mistake that we made for a number of years was thinking it was just us when really we needed to think about how do we project information or content that's useful to, to the group that we've decided to serve. Absolutely. And making them feel part of your family or your movement mm. or community or whatever, whatever word you want to call it. And, 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 you know, even just doing shout outs of your customers. I know we have a walk into a company that's been very successful with simply reposting the best photo from the tour and they hold a little photo contest. I'm a huge fan of photo contests yeah. or things that point people's attentions, but they have them submitted. Uh, you could do it with photo circle or with, through just text messages or WhatsApp or whatever. And they take those and then they say, by the way, I, I want to follow you. I hope you can follow me. And I love these photos. What's, what's your Instagram handle? And uh, I'll, I'll give you a shout out on our page and, you know, making it, making it just supportive of everyone. And we believe that at trip school, we call ourselves a family, not for some marketing gimmick, but because we're really invested in yeah. them as people. And they feel that, and they in turn want to become evangelists for what is essentially a brand, but it's more than that. Nobody feels like it's like it's that because it's, we're not just selling, selling, selling to them all the time. And, and that, that requires, I guess, uh, uh, that kind of like a, a real connection with your customer. And it comes, I mean, it comes down to such a fundamental baseline or, or, or bottom line of marketing, which is you've got to know your customer and you also have to know who you are as a company. And I, I often find myself surprised at how much I'm asking very experienced operators who their customer is and watching them not have a focused yeah. pitch, a focused sentence or two that they can say, this is who I'm speaking to at all times. It, it, it really surprises me. I, I mean, it doesn't entirely surprise me because it wasn't that long ago that you could get away with having a generic audience and saying, this is, this is anybody with with really the I, I would say the introduction of the internet it's just it's led to people being able to find a community that's much more catered to them which means that on the service side that means that we have to find out who our niche is now because if we don't figure out who our niche is somebody else in our market has and so when it comes to hey do you want to go on I mean, I'm picking on tour companies now, but do you want to go on a generic tour that's made for everybody? Or do you want to go on this tour that's made for someone just like you? What's the response going to be? Well, I want to go on this tour that's made for someone just like me uh, because it's available now. And in the past, it very well might not have been. So any company has to ask themselves that question. Yeah. A thousand percent. You're, you're, you're so right about that, but it, it, it brings up two thoughts in my head. One, it, it's so much more comforting to think you're speaking to a wide general audience because mm. you feel like at least I'll get a few of those people in. Whereas if you set out to be a niche, a niche focused company, you think 
oh, I'm, I'm cutting myself off from all of these potential customers. And you're not because you're not speaking anything specific to that wide general audience. So no one's going to choose you. Whereas the minute you're doing something very unique, then somebody out there is going to be your customer. But it's such a new phenomenon that the internet is collecting all of that, all of that attention that you can speak to that small group of people and be their, be their company for them, uh, that it, it's a little bit of a risk. It's a little bit of a tightrope walk, but that is almost everything that, that we spend our time doing when we're working with operators is actually reducing who they're speaking mm -hmm. to rather than trying to expand it. And I think of it, you know, we have several operators we've been working on, we've been working with in Washington, DC, huge market, tons of people going there to look at the memorials and the monuments and men on horses. Uh, and, and, and so how are you going to compete with that? How are you going to compete with trolley tours or with these, with these, or with these companies that have 5,700 five-star trip advisor reviews? What, you're just going to do another monuments tour and make yours $3 cheaper. Mm. Give me a reason to choose you. And so we've had them develop niche uh, shopping tours, which have turned into personal shopping tours uh, that uh, we've uh, got an operator that decided to just do the gardens of Washington, DC around all of these monuments for someone who is a little sick of the marble and the granite and actually wants to know about the flowers and the cherry blossoms and the beautiful garden behind the mm. Smithsonian castle. And it's almost like this tour that goes through this well-trodden path, but reveals something brand new. And, and what this operator found was that a, it attracted an audience that was obsessed with gardens, but also it attracted an audience of people that were sick of the monuments and the memorials and the museums and the standard stuff. And they're right there already. And it's giving them something new. And so I, 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 I love, I love that kind of innovation that forces you to dial into something that you're obsessed with because that obs that obsession sells. We had another operator who was doing multi-day tours over to Europe. She was like, I want to do off the beaten path, quirky European tours. Yeah. And then and then the tour was like London and Paris. Or you know, it was like the most boring standard yeah. tour. I was like, what's quirky about that? She's like, Well, we're gonna go to these cool places. It's like everybody does that. Everybody says they're off the beaten path, and then they offer kind of a mediocre version of off the beaten path. And that's luckily I feel like customers today are over that kind of sales pitch because I don't think anybody really believes it anymore. So what's next? And, and she, she turns out she was obsessed with Viking culture. Mm. I was like, well, if you love Viking culture and you know all of this stuff about Icelandic sagas, then why don't you develop a Viking themed multi-day tour and go to Iceland, go to Norway and find, and she found that there were Facebook groups of 15,000 people that were obsessed with Viking culture uh, and, and develop, develop that around that develop that around that, that, that core customer. And in that case, it unlocked in her brain so many ideas about what she could do to focus that quirkiness on, mm. on uh, around that theme. And I think finding that theme in your company, in your tour, in the stories that you tell is so, uh, so fundamental to, to, to creating that valuable relationship with a interested customer. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I love the story that you just told. And I think that's a really powerful lesson for anybody that's listening to this is you, yeah, you need to, tap into something that you you inherently get excited about because that comes through as you're delivering that experience. But another thing I'm gonna to add to that is one thing that I've seen with 
almost every company, if I, I mean, I'm just going to pull a, a number out, so I don't have necessary data on this, but having worked with a few hundred companies or well, a few, few thousand companies overall, but a few hundred companies a year, we're looking at uh, a situation where I would ask every, every single client we ever had, I would ask them, what is it that you think makes you unique? And the answers they gave <laughs> were all very, very similar, which you can see the irony in that is that they're like, oh, well, I really care, or I really put, I put the extra mile in, or I, I focus on the details. And I'm like, you know what? You don't know this because you haven't had this conversation a thousand times, but everybody else says that. So the, the, this is a common mistake that I see. The way that you can overcome this to some degree is, have you actually even looked at what the competition is going to be in your space? And go on their website, see what they're saying online. And it was surprising to most business owners that I've, I've worked with when they go and they find, like they research their competition and see how their competition is talking about themselves. They're like, oh, we're saying the same thing as our competition is saying, we're just hearing these stories from our customers where the customer comes to us and says, oh, but you guys, you guys really do care. Or you really are unique. But if someone's coming in front facing and they've never worked with anybody in this space, um, then how is that customer supposed to know? So my challenge to my clients has always been go find out what your competition's saying about themselves. Also the word that you're using to describe whatever you're doing, if that's a word that's been used by someone else in your market, then you can't use it because even though it might be a great word, even if you want to use the word, Oh, we're trustworthy or we focus on safety or whatever it is. If everyone else in your space is saying that, and it might be true, it becomes invisible to the customer because the customer is like, well, everyone says that. So I have to find another point to decide whether I'm going to work with this tour company or this tour company. Um, so sometimes it's a matter of going to a thesaurus and saying the same thing, but in a different way. Ideally, though, it's actually you really thinking about how can we be different so that we're coming across in a very unique way in the way we talk about ourselves and our experience um, front facing. I even say change the color of your logo. So you're the, you're the one differently colored logo from sure, the other yeah. three logos. Like you might be a garden tour company and the other three comp competitors might be all green because that's the color of a garden. Be an orange flower, be like whatever it can be that at least even visually identifies yeah. you as being different. Yeah. I, you know, this is such a, this is such a, such a difficult thing to master because on one hand, you have to know your competition intimately, but then at a certain point, you have to forget them and you have to mm. be confident to do your own thing and not just copy everybody else's tours. And I encounter this a lot in early stage businesses where they think this is what a tour is in my neighborhood, or this is what, uh, this is what you do at the, in the Grand Canyon. You do these stops and this is where you go. And if I'm going to be a tour operator, if I'm going to create an experience, then this is what I have to do. And then it comes down to, oh, maybe I'll try to have a better Facebook ad strategy or better copy or a better website. And it's playing someone else's game is so dangerous because rarely is that the game that you're passionate about. And it also probably doesn't speak to actually your strengths. And <laughs> those companies might be failing or struggling. Yeah. You yeah. can hide a lot behind a website and behind reviews and behind sales. And I, I, I mean, I know this and you know this, that a website can hide a lot of crap. And so you need to know that so that you understand sort of the game that you are playing and then forget it and do something that you're passionate about. And, you know, my example for this was 
this French woman who started a, a, a walking tour company in Philadelphia. And she started a walking tour company on American history, despite the fact that she's French, and then kept apologizing for her accent, for her Frenchness, for everything about her. Mm. I was like, well, why are you coming off as an expert in American history and trying to play the game of people who are from Philadelphia that are obviously going to play it better? Even an American who went through, you know, 12 years of American history are going to play it better. So why do you feel like that's the important game you should be playing mm. when you could be developing something really unique as a French persona, which you really are, and to, you know, walking us through the French angle of American history, which is actually really fascinating mm -hmm. and market to Francophile groups market to families that have kids that want to learn French and do it in French. And it was sort of the moment that I empowered her to be as French as she could be rather than excusing it all the time that it unlocked this wellspring of marketing ideas and just tour tour product development ideas that haven't stopped and i think that's a that's powerful that's it's a powerful lesson for all of us to feel empowered in our quirkiness and our uniqueness to really use it as a selling point because we often we often shoot ourselves down or notice the faults and constantly feel like we need to apologize or make up for them it's a really interesting point that you bring up because I see this again and again as well. As someone coming new into the space, they say, okay, how can I, yeah, this is, this is the way that things are done. I think that's always the fallacy mentally is like, oh, I come into this and this is the way that things are done. And it is a fine line. And this is almost where it does, <laughs> it does pay to work with somebody that's been there before in some kind of consulting role or teaching role or whatever that is, because there is, okay, there's core principles that work here as a foundational piece, but we need to find what's, what's our unique place in the market. Um, and I think a really good book that alludes to this or that speaks to this point is uh, blue ocean strategy. You, have you ever heard of this book, Mitch? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah fantastic. Um, and a really good, if, if well, we said we're going to go over, over time here. So a really good story that I thought was a great analogy for me to really understand how we, how we play this out is take a look at what the big trends are in the market that you're in and then try and find a way of doing something that's the opposite, but still attractive to a market. And a great story to this is uh, the story of VW coming into the American automobile market. When VW first came in, they, they understood, okay, we're coming into this market new. We also are effectively, we're coming into a very tough situation because bringing VW into the market in the sixties, they're selling to the exact same men primarily at that time that they had fought a war against. So they're, they're up against uh, immense odds. And then coming into this, they also realized if we try and bring our version of exactly what's in the market into this market, we will lose 10 out of 10 times because there's already loyalty for this kind of tour in the market. And these guys have huge marketing budgets speaking to this product. So as an example of this, VW said, okay, what are the large trends in the American automobile market um, at the time? And the trends at the time for these vehicles were, they were huge, they were boats. So large vehicle. Um, typically they were based on, not only the vehicle was large, they had large engines. And then also they had luxury at the forefront of everything they did. We have these large luxurious vehicles with these massive engines, big power. And so VW said, we're not gonna win at that game 
how do we pivot? How do we come in differently? And one of the earliest vehicles they introduced the market was the bug, which was the exact opposite of all of that. It was small. It was very, very simple, very simple interior interior. And it had arguably one of the smallest engines on the market coming in, but it was unique. No one had something like that. And so that was their point of differentiation was, Hey, we've got something that you're not going to get from anywhere else in this market. And there's a whole story to that, but it led to the bug becoming an iconic vehicle in the American market to this day. They haven't, they effectively hasn't changed the style of the bug in like whatever it is, 50 years. Um, because it's worked for them as being just a, a great niche market for them um, in the States. And that the bug was really their lead into a lot of the other VW vehicles that they brought in. So using that strategy or that, that way of thinking about it, hey, what's everyone else doing? What are the big trends in the market? And what can we be doing that's effectively opposite, but there's still a desire for that, that opposite trend? That, that makes me think of an operator that I'm working with right now who's creating multi-day tours in Africa. The minute you think of a 14-day tour that you sell to Americans and Europeans in Africa, you think, how many animals am I going to see? You think of all the stereotypes of an Africa tour. And he and I sat down and teased out, what is the opposite of an Africa tour? Mm -hmm. And it's it's a tour of Africa that upends all of the Western stereotypes that that one has about this enormous con uh, 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 continent. And, and so we came up with a tour of Togo and Benin, um, two beautiful, incredible countries. And certainly they've got, you know, they've got lush landscapes and they've got waterfront. And he does honor the fact that there are these moments of beauty and you go on hikes and you see the monkeys and you wake up and you swim, whatever. Great. That's all great. But he weaved a path through those important things that if you are going to fly for 18 hours and, you know, arrive in Africa, you want to see. But in between, he was creating personal vendor relationships with a startup incubator there that is working with African entrepreneurs to create all sorts of new businesses uh, in Africa or even just local makers, not of beads and trinkets and the stereotypes, but of things that you wouldn't ever expect uh, to be found on an African tour. One of the nights, he, you're at a rooftop bar that feels like you're in the middle of Soho in New York City. And he created what I think is a phenomenal, time will tell, but what I think is a phenomenal experience of going there. And it's mission driven too. And his idea was, I want people to meet all of Africa, that he's mm -hmm. sick of these stereotypes. He's sick of the idea that, you know, a car should be big and boxy and guzzle gas. And so if you've got that, if you've got that passion in you, bottle it in a way that is a, it is a risk because I think the, the payoff is your passion becomes infect, infectious as you, as you share these kinds of experiences. Mm. And I know this for certain as a guide, as a tour operator myself, I can sell people on anything based on the stories that I tell and the experiences that I've designed that I'm sharing extremely passionately. And, and listen, I, I respect other people, but at the same time, when, when you're leading an experience, really, you've got a group of babies, you've got a group of puppies that are just looking to their yeah. owner for how to feel. And part of that is just being confident, being knowledgeable, designing a well, uh, a, a fantastic tour or an experience and then delivering it <laughs> with, with, and then delivering it with that passion. And that's so important. Man, I, I think that, uh, I can't speak for my clients cause I'm not feeling the feelings that they feel, 
but I, I can speak from my own personal experience and say, when we, when we really honed in on who, who we are and who we want to be and bring our unique passions to our market, that was for me, that was the turning point between waking up every day to a job and waking every up every day to something that I was truly passionate about, where I was like, I don't care what everyone else is doing because I'm loving what I'm doing. And I, there's also a pride that comes with that because I'm like, I know no one's doing what I'm doing. And this is, this is a pretty amazing feeling to have coming to the market and delivering something to the person that you want to work with that they're excited about, you're excited about, and you can tell that comes through in the passion in the delivery of, of that experience because you're excited to be there. I, I feel like a great analogy for that is anybody that's ever been through school and had two different teachers. One, the teacher who is arguably just they're there for collecting a paycheck and the teacher that's there that is passionate about what they do. In my experience, the teacher that's passionate about what they do, you don't even care what subject they teach because they're going to make it fun regardless of what that is. I've had math teachers and math is not my subject of choice, but I've had math teachers where I'm like, I enjoy going to that class. Accounting. I had an accounting prof in university and no way in a million years would I ever say accounting has got to be the funnest subject under the sun. It was one of my favorite classes because he made it interesting through his passion and like this is why it's amazing so to speak to your point which we've given a few examples around pick that thing that you're passionate about and it doesn't matter what it is people will be enthralled to be part of that experience because you're bringing passion to it don't worry about what the rest of the market is is doing and then try and shove yourself or pigeonhole yourself into that that um type of experience that everyone else is delivering yeah, I mean, my brain is just going with examples of, of people that I've watched sort of flourish when they strike that moment of, of discovery of their own passion. I think of a woman named Miriam in upstate New York, and she, for many months with us, she didn't struggle because she's full of energy and ambition and ideas, but I could tell that her tour product, which was, you know, kind of multi-day weekend or afternoon tour experiences in upstate New York, you know, the Catskills. I'm a New York, I, I live in New York City. And so yeah. even though everything is, <laughs> everything is not just upstate, that's what we call it. And I get yelled at that for, <laughs> from everyone all the time. But, uh, but this is her customer. And I could just tell that she wasn't making much progress because she wasn't, she didn't have a, a fire lit in her and we were talking and I noticed that every time she was talking, she was mentioning other weird, incredible, exotic, interesting people that were hidden in the hills in the tiny town that she lived in in upstate New York. And I said, well, what can you know, what can you do with them? Like, just do stuff with them and, and let the let the business come next. You, you, you know, all these people. Can you do something together? And uh, for Halloween, she put on a uh, basically an experience that involved everyone in the village scaring visitors she looked <laughs> at awesome. i mean she, she looked at air she looked at uh she looked at air dna and noticed that like bookings were through the roof for her area because she uh you know people were renting weekend stops mm. weekend weekend little getaways uh to get out of new york city and she said why don't we just freak out everybody in these rentals and so she worked with the restaurants to advertise it because there's like four restaurants and so everybody that's renting something in the area eats there and she worked with those locals 
to become empowered to advertise her product because they were all part of it and they kind of loved it. And it was after the closing hours of everything. So basically nobody had anything else to do. And I mean, every, I, I only saw photos, but it's like everybody in town was dressed up in blood and they were a murder victim or they were some <laughs> weird ghoul and they had things floating in the sky. They had people coming out of the trees down by the water. It was this incredible experience and really is that a business model for her future business? No, because obviously you're not going to have a sustainable business that requires you paying 27 people for a $20 tour, but it lit a fire and got her thinking. And now she's done the same thing where she's taken a lot of those people she knows and she's created an experience box for the holidays and for Valentine's and for the new year where she's going around and taking the jams and the exotic oils and the, uh, you know, whatever it, the canned sardines, whatever it is that they're all selling, sticking it in a box and calling it a, you know, a taste of upstate and sending them all around the country. And that wouldn't have come if she didn't have that initial step of just saying, screw it. I'm just going to go with what I love, what I'm passionate about, even if temporarily it's running it at a loss, but it lit that fire. And now her brain is just spinning in a mile a minute. And she's created really a movement around what she can do with those local vendor relationships to highlight the, highlight the, uh, highlight the region and grow a real business. And she's been on the local radio. She's been already honored by the chamber of commerce. She's basically become a little superstar in her neighborhood, in her region from, you know, from making those connections happen. To that point, Mitch, that's another thing that I see. I see, I'm see, I'm watching right now as a mistake that I'm seeing with some of my, even some of my clients that I had coming into COVID is there's, there's kind of two avenues that you can go here. You can say, okay, as a result of COVID, um, most tour operators, and you know, you, if you're listening to this, you're going to know the boat that you're in, but most tour operators that I'm aware of, they're receiving some kind of benefit because they are in tourism. And so they are eligible for some kind of government assistance uh, in a variety of countries. I know they get that for sure here in Canada. I know that they're getting it in the States. And so what I'm seeing is there's, there's a group of tour operators that say, okay, I'm getting this assistance. It's not a ton of money, but we're, we're surviving. But they said, we're just going to wait this out. We're just going to hold out, wait this out. And then when tourism starts again, then we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this. And then I've seen a group of tour operators. And unfortunately right now I've, I've kind of seen this as being the minority. They say, this is the greatest opportunity we've ever had because we can try anything and money's still going to come in the door. And to, was it, did you say her name was Miriam? Yeah. Yeah. To Miriam's credit, Essentially, she's saying, I can do absolutely anything and there's no scenario where I lose because money's coming in the door. That I see as being a winning scenario because even if you tr the thing you try is going to be not necessarily the, the experience or the action that you continue moving forward, I have seen a few instances where that becomes the seed that actually really leads to the next thing because you're just following something that's passion. You're like, I don't see how this plays into the business, but it's something that I find interesting. I'm passionate about. And then that sparks a whole host of other ideas that can become a business. So if you're listening to this and you are kind of in that position where you're like, I'm just in a holding pattern until the whole COVID thing's over. I would say this is, this is one of the greatest gifts you're ever going to get. Cause you can, you have a, almost a no lose scenario, do whatever you want to do. Um, and, and see where that takes you. It's, I mean, listen, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. 
And yet my heart goes out to operators. I, every single day I talk to operators who are in round 12 of a boxing match where they've just been mm-hmm. beat up and beat up and beat up. And it's hard to want to get up again. It's really hard to, to motivate yourself internally alone. And so I think just to piggyback on that great advice, the number one thing you can do right now is just be talking to someone else. It doesn't need to be a business coach you're paying for. It can be anyone mm-hmm. because getting getting your struggles out of your brain and out of your bed and the cocoon that you're living in right now that we all are and just starting a dialogue with somebody yields so much. And I know this, I, I often get my best ideas when it's not me talking, when somebody else is talking and my brain can be thinking about things. And also our brains just work differently when we're saying something through our mouth than when we're thinking it inside of our heads over and over and over again. Different parts of our brain are activated literally when we're talking and we hear ourselves through our ears than internally in our own little monologue. And the larger point to that is, I mean, I've had I spoke with a I spoke with a food tour operator the other day in in Switzerland, and they they had so many kind of basic struggles and questions, and they were just trying to solve it with Google and watching webinars and just working through it on their own. And to their credit, they reached out to me. We had a fifteen minute phone call, and the end of it. They were like thanking me as if I was, you know, manna from the heavens. And I wasn't, (laughs) I was just someone in the industry Mm. who could like respond to what they were feeling with positivity. Truly, I was doing very little except that, but it was enough to get that engine going. And so there are so many communities out there. I mean, I, I, every day just have phone calls or email sessions with people or zoom sessions or whatever it is. It's just a conversation. And so if, if that's you, if you're listening to this and you don't have that conversational partner, find it and reach out and be vulnerable. I mean, this is a time to embrace your vulnerability because I think rarely will we ever have a time like this again where everybody on earth is essentially in this in similar positions of vulnerability or or difficulty that opens us up to being very to being very human and there's a lot that can come from that so reach out and have those conversations Mitch I think that's a really good segue into let's let's take a few or give a few tangible results of what those communities can look like because I, I absolutely agree with you one of the best things in the world is to find just one person that you can actually start to form a more intimate relationship with. But it also, it is very powerful to know what the rest of the community is going through so that you understand you're not going through it alone. Um, so I'm going to start with uh, giving just a, just a few examples. If you're in the, the tourism space, what are, what are communities that you can tap into? I think arguably Shane has one of the best communities um, online with his group, which I'm going to totally botch the name. Is it tour? You might need to help me out on this one. What's the Facebook group that tour, to tourpreneur. tourpreneur? Is it just tourpreneur? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, yep. You can go to tourpreneur.com. You can find it on uh, Facebook and I couldn't agree more. I think that is the number one place online where you're going to find like-minded individuals also led by a man who isn't selling anything. 
the tour printer podcast, uh, just like just like you, Eric, uh, with uh, your podcast, you're not hawking something. It's not a sales pitch every single time. It's simply dialogues and conversations with other good people in the industry that's trying to tease out some fundamentals of what we're doing in this business and trying to all improve together through that dialogue. And so it's uh, it's a it's a really magical place that I think has phenomenal Facebook engagement. Uh, because of that philosophy, because I know there are Facebook groups that have 18 times the members and very little action happening. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's a special place. I, I agree. Yeah. The engagement in a group is really what you should be looking for, not just the number. And it's hard to know this as a tour operator. Um, when you look at all these groups and arguably they can initially look the same before you've joined any of them, but there are a number of groups and there's a number of offers out there for different communities. And I will, without any kind of uh, reason to say this, I will give Shane the endorsement of saying he is, he's in it for the community. He's not in it for himself. He's in it to, to boost the community and arguably in it for the right reasons for sure. And uh, same, I mean, same to Mitch as well. So I, I talked about this in the beginning of the episode. Mitch is also working on something that is uh, is going to be, I believe, one of one of the most powerful communities within tourism. So we'll we'll talk about that towards the end. Now we've that's our second hook into leading <laughs> oh them into God, it. You but tease. Uh, I know, I know. Um. So yeah, stay tuned for that. And it's also something I I think I can say. Uh, is that this is a community that's not necessarily in competition with Shane's community. Um, this is going to be more of a, a collaboration. So it's, it's not necessarily where you need to pick one over the other. Um, this is really one community building on another. So stay tuned for what this is, because it's, it's something that the, the tourism community hasn't seen. And it's, it's pretty, pretty epic. So um, I'll leave it at that until we get to, to that point in the episode. Excellent. Um, Mitch, let's uh, let's look at. I know we we've given kind of a number of examples um, throughout this of failures that have been made. Um, are there any other core kind of patterns that you've seen, or or should we start launching into just kind of individual unique circumstances that either we've seen or we've seen in operations over time that are just really good lessons for anyone listening to like, oh, this is how an individual operator has gone through this or seen this or the, the struggle that they faced and how they overcame it. Um, that was a really loaded, loaded question uh, with a lot of sub questions in it. So let me go back to the beginning. Is there anything, uh, any large patterns that you want to, to make sure that we flesh out before we move on to individual examples? Yeah, I, I'll say this much. I hope that our dialogue so far has been at least exciting or, or inspirational on some very basic level of getting you out there and coming up with ideas. My corollary piece, to, piece of advice to that is then tone it down. That generally less is more and let the greatness of your tour sing instead of trying to throw in the baby in the bathwater into the experience. And, you know, I'll give an example of uh, this tour operator in Africa who had so many local artisans. And so there was one moment where we were waking up at like 3 a.m. to see uh to see, I think these monkeys and then waking up at 5 a.m. Uh, to then go swim with dolphins. Uh, I'm botching that, but it was something where he hadn't noticed because he was so excited and passionate about loading the days filled with so much goodness that his guests had two hours of sleep that night. Yeah. And, 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 and so, I mean, that's an exaggeration 
of a very basic point, which is often I find that operators aren't letting their tours breathe because they think if I can add another stop, add another bullet mm -hmm. point on my Viator listing, if I can throw in another extra, then the more stops we make, the more things we do, the better the experience. And that's often the exact opposite of a well-designed experience or tour. And for me, that design theory goes down to the very basic principle that ultimately your guests are not going to remember everything. They're going to remember the peak experience. They're going to remember how they felt at the beginning and especially how they feel at the end. And so if you can design one phenomenal moment, I call it a wow moment uh, in the book, The Power of Moments, which is one of my favorite books in the world. Uh, they call it the uh, they call it a moment uh, or a peak experience in psychology. It's mm. all the same thing which is people's brains need something to remember that's more heightened, more emotional, more fuller in whatever sense you want to take that than everything else. And you have to design for that because the more you design for that, the more you're going to understand what your guests are going to remember. And then that's going to show up in the review. When I look, when I work with an operator, I often look at their, their, their reviews on Expedia or Viator or somewhere and one of the warning signs is if the reviews are kind of all over the place, because to me, that means that you're not actually giving your guests something to sink their teeth into that wow moment or that peak experience, which you can almost bet is going to be the thing they want to go and type about on Viator. And, and that looks different for every tour, but clean out, use this time to do a little raking of your yard and maybe take out a stop. And, and this African operator, uh, we had a long discussion about whether one of these stops, which is an iconic stop in, uh, in, uh, in Togo, whether that was worth an entire day of a five-hour drive out and then a mm. five-hour drive back, and how we could actually design a tour around doing that without it feeling like this exhausting journey out and then back, what, what can we do to make it meaningful and to make it feel good rather than, I can't believe we're you know spending two days and another 12 hours in a bus just to go see this one site that's supposed to be the it site in this country. You have to ask yourself those really hard questions is, is the payoff worth the price of, of, of that just emotional or physical baggage of going out there? I, we've definitely seen that. We've seen that, especially on the tour, the uh, the motorcycle um, trips that we do. We initially realized that there's just there's more stuff being packed into the days, um, which is actually taken away from the experience. Because at the end of the day, people want to experience, but I mean, most of the time when they're when they're interacting with you, this is also a vacation. So they want they want to make sure that they've got some time in there to actually recharge and rest and relax. And so it's, there's a, there's a cadence to it. Um, that's what we've found. But another thing that you brought up that was something that, uh, was instrumental to the way that we designed experiences was those moments. Um, and I haven't read the book that actually, I wasn't even aware of the book. So that sounds like something that's definitely got to be on my, my book hit list. But one thing I have studied is, is these moments, um, in psychology, the emotion that comes with that moment, you actually have this buildup to the moment that's more powerful emotionally than the, the experience itself. And the analogy that I might give on this is, let's say you're, you're wandering through the desert and you're thirsty and you see this oasis, your anticipation, your emotion, when you see that oasis and your emotion, like making your way down to the water is gonna be much higher 
than the moment you actually take that first sip. And this is, this is tested. This is, it's been tested um, biologically to see where your, your uh, hormones are at and playing into your emotional levels. The moment you take that sip of the water, you're actually, you're, there's a hormone drop and your, your emotion actually drops. And then it actually peaks again after reminiscing, even if it's right after that moment, like, oh, that drink of water was really good reminiscing on that, then it peaks again. So the moment itself, it's important to have that moment, but it's really the buildup to that moment. And then the way that you architect the memory of that moment that almost requires more thought than the moment itself. So to your point in saying, hey, you got to think about, you know, working yourself to that moment and then what happens after. Um, also really, really important in the way that you design your your trip, your experience. Um, I'm a little worried that you mentioning that just cost us another hour of discussion <laughs> because I, this is my soapbox. In All right, that is the end of this first part. So the second part, keep an eye out for it. It's gonna be published next week. That'll be the second half of this conversation. And in the meantime, if you got anything out of this episode or any of the episodes on Tourism Marketing Mastery, what would be amazing is if you could share this with another tourism operator that you think would get some value out of this. That's what makes me happy. And hopefully that's something that they will find valuable. So between now and then, take the time to share any one of these episodes with a tourism operator that you think will get something out of it. All right. Can't wait to see you guys in next week's episode.